Welcome to the MRAC Film Club. Uh, or Orson, Orson, it's MRAC. It's MRAC. What do you mean, son? MRAC? Why would you? Why would you? Why would you have capital MRAC if it's if it's if it's MRAC? It should say that, son. God damn it. Okay. Welcome to the MRAC Film Club, where we cover rats, mice, agouti, and capybaras. Do you really mean that? Is that what you guys are? Is that what you guys are talking about? Um, okay, Jesus Christ. We know a certain film discussion group. Every month, one of the members uses a theme for the month. These four idiots meet once a week to discuss a single film with the occasional supplement, supplemental? I don't understand. What are we talking? Vitamins? Are these, are these vermin? Vitamins? What is this about? What are we doing here? Jesus. Jesus, man, son. Who wrote this? Ah. This is a load of shit, you know? I'm not getting paid enough for this. Uh, <clears throat> uh, thank you. Thank you, Orson. Anyway, um, we we are the MRAC Film Club. I am the Shotmaster General, Anthony R., in California. With me, as always, from the backwoods of Maine, Brian. Uh, I am a science bitch. And, and that was your best intro ever so far. Well, if 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 Orson ever comes back, he stormed out. It's just you know, to little peek behind the curtain, he stormed out. But I'll let him know. Uh, Pete from the back from the from the from the backwoods of Rhode Island. Hey guys, um, I'm with Orson. I, I'm I'm on Team MRAC. It so. is it it is it is confusing. I mean, we we can't. I mean, he is he's for you know he's Orson Welles for a reason. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he does make sense. But, but you're just, not, does yeah. Rhode Island have backwoods? Does Rhode Island have we got, trees? We got backwoods. <laughs> we got backwoods. We got a we got a town named Wyoming, I think. So we're good. Where are you? You're not even in. Um, you're not. You're not even in Rhode Island this week. Where are you? Do you want to dox yourself or? Oh, okay. No, I'm. I'm actually in um, Rhode Island still. So we can go with Marco. Um, the last, but certainly not least, we got here in California, Marco. Yes, Marco, take me to your nearest onsen, Brindel Ray. Onsen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't say onsen. They'll have no idea what you're talking about, as I discovered the first time I went to Tokyo. No, no, no. It's onsen. Very you, important to get you the, need uh, to, the... You need to warm up because he's freezing right now. Marco is the is the most bundled up of all of us. He's in a, he's in a... I, 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 I did not realize that L.A. was in the Arctic Circle because that's how I feel right now do you do you still Sad. have that winter jacket i gave you last time you visited massachusetts i did i brought it along good good the yeah the puffer jacket it's a great travel jacket because it's, it's a puffy jacket so you know, easy to pack um for to give context the weather right now here is oh it's 58 degrees so it's not like freezing uh, absolutely free but you know how does anyone survive that's rough. Uh, 
That's rough. 58 <laughs> degrees. And it's rainy, which never happens. All right. So what I don't know how you guys are surviving over there. Just I can. <laughs> from, from what I hear about what's going on in Maine, this is like LA is the safest place on the planet right now. Like the, the, the safest. Except for that giant fault line. Yeah, yeah, until the San Andreas uh, finally starts to move. You saw what happened to the rock. Okay, Orson Welles. San Andreas, the movie? Come on. He started in... <laughs> fucking, come on, guys. Orson right, Welles. Right. We, um, this is week three. Marco's bringing us Orson Welles in December. This week, uh, Touch of Evil, 1958. Marco, give us a... Little little intro as to why you did this as is the third week. What is the synopsis of a touch of evil from 1958? Oh, okay. So so again to reiterate, and and I I think for the record, I I decided I had the idea to do Orson Welles before there was a podcast. So again, you know, Marco biting off way more uh than he was able to chew. So there what there was not like a really deep thought process to any of this. This is more or less like Marco wants to watch Orson Welles films because he knows he should at some point. So this week, the theme was film noir. Um, so the supplemental lady from Shanghai, we have two classic film noir uh, films. Um, Touch of Evil being considered as one of the last and one of the greatest uh, the film that we watched was affected basically when it was released, there was a much, it was a longer version. It was the studio cut. Uh, it was believed to be very convoluted and confusing, but was done um, against Orson Welles, which is the way they did the original cut. So the film we watched was the 1998 40th anniversary release that was, um, sort of redone to express what Wells' original vision was meant to be. There's about 40 changes made to the film, some minor, some major. Uh, and so we saw what more, more or less what Wells intended uh, for us to see. So again, classic film noir. Uh, that's a whole genre we could, uh, I think we've touched upon previously, but we can certainly explore more deeply uh and in the future but again this is an attempt to at least try to have some exposure to orson wells given that um i mean myself and i i think most people from my generation are only going to be familiar with citizen king so that's that's really kind of the impetus for for the entire month as far as the film noir goes what did, what have we seen like last month pete brought us well alphaville yeah with alphaville but aside from that, we really haven't had any, I don't think. And for the folks at home, we've been doing this for like three years. Well, you know, so. Cheers. Cheers. I'm drinking. No, Marco, I shoot every, I, I take a shot or a pretend shot every time he says folks at home. And I take one too. <laughs> I'm shooting beer though. I got this West Coast IPA. Festive, it's a festive IPA. So and I'm drinking old New England eggnog. Classic. Yeah. So so really, really quick, uh, you know, I, again to continue on a quick intro. So Touch of Evil, based on 1956 mystery novel Badge of Evil. Uh the producer 
uh, Albert Zugsmith was considered uh, king of the bees, or he was known for his B movie productions. Uh, he, uh, Charlton Heston, uh, who stars as Mike Vargas, was the one who actually suggested that Wells should direct the film. Uh, Wells ends up rewriting the script. There was a, a script previous to this that Zug Smith was unhappy with. So Wells rewrites the script, uh, takes one of the starring roles and directs the film uh, and continuation, a long continuation of a, a lot of his projects that, that seem to consider, uh, seem to have him as, as the writer, director and uh, lead or one of the lead actors in the film. So can film I, itself. Can I, ask, is, I know you're in your intro, but I really want to ask that I've been, this has been burning in my mind for three weeks now. Does it, is, is it like frowned upon to star in your own movies? Does that seem a little self-serving or? So I, I actually, I looked this up. There's actually, there's a number of, uh, there's a number of other famous directors uh, who have done this. I'm like the two off the top of my head are Woody Allen um, has, is known for this. Uh, also Mel Brooks. Uh, and, and Charlie um, Charlie Chaplin maybe Charlie no? Chaplin yeah yeah and, Charlie Chaplin was on that list and, uh, and we st- we, Tarantino we did Tarantino okay yeah yeah but Tarantino doesn't star in his films he makes a cameo that's Orson Welles has... is at the center of his films but we did this sure. with um with my Swedish uh, Victor Schustrom did it so and with charlie chaplin so if you had a lot of it coming from the silent films doing that and this is 1947 you know it's sort of like those might be the inspirations i think chaplin is the the big one we we can get into it i have some notes here as to my first note was like starring orson welles in parentheses of course because everyone but all right it was any was anybody thrown by by his character and and thinking it was just like that i thought he looks nothing like orson welles like if if i didn't know i do have a correction that i want to make because last week i don't know if you guys remember i said that there was a story about orson welles going to a party in the makeup for a for falstaff and then people were commenting that like oh orson you look great that I, i had that wrong that was actually this movie because he was wearing prosthetics. He was wearing prosthetics in his face and padding to make him look bigger and more horrific. And then he he didn't have time to change. So he went to a party. And then there are some people that hadn't seen him in a few years. Like, hey, Orson, you're looking great. Like classic, <laughs> like Hollywood people, you know? <laughs> I, I'm assuming that, that I was I was inauthentic. Uh, that was. Yeah, well, if you got the, the close ups, you could tell he was he was not looking great, but. Uh, so I, I found compare that with this one and compare that with uh, the first movie. He was he was super skinny in the lady from Shanghai, but we'll get into that later. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, he, he looks like he, he's a good looking guy, actually. Like he looks um, like he's a he's a handsome gentleman. That was also his, lady uh, from Shanghai was like at least 10 years earlier, too. Yeah, 10 years earlier. I guess a lot happened. I, I found I found an article that described his his character uh, Hank Quinley I guess as uh, as a gargantuan police detective. Makes yeah. sense. It's fitting. Yeah, yeah. He he is rather large in this film. So okay, so he is 
I guess we can get into it now. He's uh, Orson Welles stars um, Quinlan. Is that his name? Quinlan, the the detective Charlton Heston, of course, playing a Mexican. And <laughs> of course, Janet Lee from that was Charlton Heston. Yeah, that was Charlton Heston. Very famous. I knew Charlton Heston was in the movie, but are you joking? Yeah, you know, I thought you, you were joking. I thought it was. I you know I thought it was initially. I actually thought it was. Uh, who's the guy in Gone with the Wind? Um, Clark, Clark Gable, Danny DeVito, Clark Gable. I actually, <laughs> I actually initially thought it might be Clark Gable, but no, it was Charlton Heston. Heston well, was well, a Hank, Heston was a very and, famous and, Mexican and, actor. And, and, and I thought Hank was Danny DeVito, of course, of course. Clearly, clearly, I mean, this has come up in this in this era. Clearly, a time where where a white man would just play anybody. Zapata. <laughs> there we go. Zapata. There we go. Good old throwback. So I, I never I never was able to find that rule that said that only Native Americans could play Native American roles. I, I don't know. I, I, uh, I was never able to find it. Um, so I don't know if that was just something I imagined, but just as a, yeah. a throwback later discussion. All right. That's more of a 2022 rule, I think. So, so Marco, Marco gave, uh, I think you gave a synopsis. Let's give, let's go around initial reactions. Let's start, uh, let's start with Brian this week. You want to start? I liked the movie. Um, I thought, I liked the way that it was shot. There were, I thought there were really so a lot of like um, interesting camera of uh, videography sequences um, that I, that I enjoyed. And I, I thought the plot was good comp you know it was complicated for its time actually shit it's complicated for today not just its time um uh yeah no i i in short i liked the movie and i thought it had it had a really nice setup of tension um just they used setting as as a really nice like piece to create tension like the the the, the setting of it being right on the border so you know you have different two different ways of of that you can act two different cultures and there's that pull between detectives so you don't even have to say much or you don't even have to like spend a lot of time setting characters up because knowing that one is an american detective one's a mexican detective slash politician or whatever um already there's that tension there from the very beginning so i thought that was really nice so i liked it in setting to the, the the place itself that the movie was set in, but the setting the sets themselves, like the area. I guess that yes. was that was Venice. I read like Venice and Marco. We could go pay a visit to the actual place they shot at Venice, Venice, California. Oh, oh Venice, California. Oh, Jesus! No, not Venice, Italy. Like what? When you say Venice, like the the, the assumption is Italy. I fucking California. Well, they drew let's see what they did. It was like it was Orson Welles, so we could do this. You know, they just they drained the streets of all the water. That's like me saying, like, oh, it's in Paris. No, <laughs> yeah, Paris we went, we went to Paris we went to Naples to have the pizza and play with the alligators. Like, wait, what? What's <laughs> so, Naples, Florida, of course. <laughs> what, what other Naples could there be? Pete, do you would you like to do you have an initial thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, I liked a lot about it. I, I really like the, the sceneries, the settings, the music, um, the, the movement, like that opening scene running through the streets and constant and the way it flowed. Um, I, I would just say some things threw me off in the movie. Like I thought that 
the scene of the woman or the p- portion of the movie with the woman trapped in the hotel room just sort of dragged out really weird for me. Um, so yeah, there were just some parts of the movie that I thought were a little bit dislocated. Um, but yeah, yeah. overall, o- overall, yeah. I mean, the, I, I see things I liked and didn't. So mixed reaction. Interesting. We'll get to that. We'll get to that hotel scene. Cause that's a, that's a juicy one. Um, Marco, do you have, yeah. I kind of want to save my, my initial thoughts for, for last Marco, do you want to go? That, that's fine. Cause I wanted to piggyback on what Pete said. So yeah, like my, my initial reactions were kind of going between being heavily interested in what's going on with the detectives, um, intermixed with being really, really annoyed with the dude, just like abandoning his wife in a random motel that was obviously being run by the dude he's uh investigating for drug crimes well he's it's like yeah it's like 10 minutes of the movie was psycho and the rest of the movie was this movie so <laughs> that's interesting that's interesting that you mentioned that because um they one of the things that i was reading about was that anthony perkins may have taken his cue uh his inspiration from the night watchman in touch of evil that guy I gotta say that character was a little bit so, too much. Wow, it's so it's, it's it's. I mean, we could get into him now, but it's he's he's a he's a whole thing. That character, I I thought he was incredible. He was a bit, well, well, but he was incredible. Well, this this is this is also where like my re- reaction to to it is like, okay, so in real life, clearly this person has like severe like some form of autism or is just. Like that person is obviously dealing with like severe anxiety. And yet I'm so like repelled <laughs> by by the character at the same time. So I feel like yeah. I should be empathetic towards that character. And yet he's making me so uncomfortable. Yeah, but I don't know if he was, you know, because just because back then I'm, I'm, I'm here's here's I really don't know this. But I, I mean, was autism even a thing back at that time period or was this guy just like acting like, you know. I mean, he, 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 in reality, he must have been on the spectrum, but I don't know if I, I read that the, the Orson just let this guy improv his, 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 this whole character. Well, well, Marco, Marco makes a good point though, that relates to the entire movie. Uh, Like if you think of the scene of Heston on the phone with the like girl acting a little strange on the counter next to him, like she had like an autism thing going on and like all, a lot of the police staff, the blind woman. Was she blind? Okay, sorry, I'm I'm not remembering properly, but um, no, I, I was she blind? I, I, sorry, I missed that. I, I watched this movie like I watched this movie ten days ago, and I've seen the other movies since, and I'm my memory. So what what exactly is the spectrum but, for blindness? But like, um, am I I on the spectrum? No, no but what I'm getting at, what I'm getting at is even the police staff members. Okay, I'm gonna just push through this. Um, just go just keep going, just go. Pete. I'm just so, push through, push through. You're on a roll. Even the even the actors playing in the police staff and everything, they were just like these, like you know, all like me, a disgusting old man. Like this whole movie was full of characters that were like character actors that were not like beautiful actors, and I thought that was like a strength of this movie. It felt like. It felt it did feel a bit real in terms of like the casting throughout with the smaller roles. So, so one one of the things that I've I've experienced like in watching these films that has happened a couple times of being just repelled by a character, like I'm just 
so uh, it's it, just trying to watch the film is challenging because something about how the character acts is so distasteful, which I mean, at the same time speaks to uh, the, the acting, the acting job that is done by, by the actor. I mean, if, if I, if I'm experiencing like really intense emotions by watching that particular character, I feel like that actually does speak to the, the performance and the acting job that's being done. And yet at the same Except- time, it's like so uncomfortable. Except in, if you're the voice in Alphaville. Oh, no. oh God, no. <laughs> Never again. Marco, before we get too derailed. Why is it always the French that just like send me over the edge and just like this is this is beyond what I, I can handle like as as a viewer? Well, Marco, before. Pourquoi pas? Marco, you did you did mention earlier about um, um, Vega Vegas Vargas 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 Charles Vargas Miguel Vargas the the final thought on that guy that Marco thinks is autistic I thought I thought he closely resembled um, Michael Richards' character from UHF Oh I can see that yeah Stanley 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 Stanley, uh, Stanley Kowalski Spadowski 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 yeah yeah No Marco you you did mention before I forget that you you mentioned this you you talked about Charlton Heston just leaving his wife in the hotel um I didn't I didn't have necessarily well I had nece- I had a lot of problems with Charlton Heston and and the things he did but it was more it was also like at the beginning he just like threw her aside and like wait there's a bomb just and just like runs toward a bomb and she falls him like what are you doing and they're like next to an explosion but he does it throughout the whole film and but but even even like her behavior in the film which is she the she goes off with the Pablo uh character like the young gangster and then there's a photo taken in front of the hotel and then speaks to the head of the uh, uh, of the drug family. And yet there's no sense of urgency communicated uh, you know, to to, you know, her through that that character that, you know, maybe maybe she she should be in a, in a more protected situation than than she is. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. That whole that whole thing with, with the wife is just like, doesn't doesn't anybody like realize that they're in a border town and there's crime here and this is like a really dangerous situation? OK, well, we'll we'll get back to that before we get to that. I need to I need to give my initial thoughts. I get to get them out of the way because. So I, I had never seen uh, any Orson Welles I mentioned before, before before this month. And I I feel like I've, I've come off a little bit of a schlub, I felt like, in the first uh, couple weeks. Because I've just been like, I don't know, we watched F for Fake. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is, this is a documentary on a renowned director at the end of his career that I hadn't ever seen any of his work. And it's kind of, eh. And then we watched Shakespeare. And I'm like, eh, I don't get Shakespeare. And and even I watched the lady from Shanghai and I'm like, ah, you know, this is so I'm like, what's the deal with this Orson guy? Like, like what was. And then I, I watched that first scene, which I think we got to just rein it in and go back to that first scene, which is what this movie is famous for. And I watched right. that first scene and it was like, bing, 
like a switch went off. It's like, whoa, I get it now. I get Orson Welles. It was it was like the first time I did hallucinogens when I was in uh, when I was in high school. Uh, I, I remember like sitting in a closet and I'm like, oh, when this kicks in, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I like, burst out of the closet and it was just like, wee, like a light, like a switch off. Not to read. Why did you do them in a closet? Because I was I was like, when this starts, it's going to be fun. I knew it was just like when I, I don't. It, yeah, but yeah, it's a whole other thing. But they take they like it, psilocybin takes like. Like you know, many hours to kick in sometimes. Well, I did it. It was it was like a half well, reference of reference of time. No, I wasn't in. I wasn't in a closet. I wasn't in a closet for the entire time. It was like a half hour, and I'm like, "This is going to kick in soon. Let me go into the closet." But anyway, this be this be. This maybe it's not beside the point, but when when that when that shot at the beginning went from the bomb over to the car. And then zoomed out. I was like, "What? What? 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 The camera's on like a crane. Like, what? What is going on? Like the because it's mm. just it was went from normal shots to all of a sudden it's in a crane. And I'm like, wait, I I get it now. And then I watched the movie. And then I still like fell asleep a couple times when I was watching the movie because I watched it at, for me late at night. It was like 7 p.m. and I'm nodding off. And then I did more research and I watched it twice. I watched this movie twice. The wow. Oh, wow. I was even more engaged and I'm like, I get it. I was wow. not to like, you know, blow my water early, but that like, we get, I feel like we could go to back to that first scene. Cause that first scene is like what it's famous for because the, it was, it was on a crane. It's following this guy and it starts off with that music. Like, dun, 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 dun. like we talk about the, it's come up before. What is it called? when sound comes from it's either comes from a soundtrack or it's within the movie do you, do you oh have... yeah there's a word like yeah diegetic yeah diegetic music okay. diegetic sound so at the beginning it's it's a soundtrack it's like oh it's playing like this kind of like loungy sound and then it it's overtaken by the sound of the car like radio when the car turns on so it's like coming from within the the movie and then it zooms out and then like the the music like fades out as they go behind the building and then you're following this car and like you hear sounds from everywhere you hear sounds from like bars and clubs because right at the beginning i watched it like three times the scene and it's following the car, but then it follows uh, Charlton Heston in brown face with his with his wife. And then like, so the car and like, you know, there's a bomb in the trunk. And then there's then it's like, and then the, like the car is the main character and then it switches. So I I think that's not in the original studio cut. I, I, I my understanding was the original studio cut. They're using Henry Mancini's. A film score. Oh yeah, they put a soundtrack the over it. Yeah, in the yeah, 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 yeah. And and yeah. so when they re uh, recut and and redid the film, they went back to those street sounds and and the the background noises as as Wells had originally intended, which is way better. But can can we pause for a second? Can we confirm that he was in brownface, or is this just? Or did he go to a tanning booth? He he was like Justin Justin can lay on the beach. I mean, it's not unheard of. Well, he probably had a private beach at that time. 
I just, you know, listen, before we start calling him brown face and like, I just want to be sure. Right. What's your blind spectrum before we decide? <laughs> Marco, Marco's in charge of, of AI. Marco, look up if, if Charlton Heston is in brown face while I finish my um leading question. I, I, leading I question. am not, I am not, I'm not going to do that. However, I, I have, I have a great use of, of AI this week that I think you know everybody, the words? Oh uh, it will be. First of all, go fuck yourself. And second of all, it will be short and succinct. Okay. All right. Do should we adding we're adding to the Ask AI segment? Okay. But so did you guys did you guys notice that throughout the movie they would do camera angle from 45 degrees coming down at somebody? Because I noticed it throughout the movie, like especially in the 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 Wells scenes where he was in the where he was doing his uh you know evil sheriff evil police officer detective guy that did have scenes from above him they were so i I, there were other situations where they used like un like you wouldn't expect them to to zoom out out of a crane like like when they were at the hotel there would just be two people talking and then shoof it would like zoom up but yeah yeah i i think i think it was the youtube uh video that Riguchi i think shared where it's it's a, a you know, sort of understanding Wells' brilliance from a scene, and and it's that whole scene where in the hotel room where they're, uh, yeah, initially interrogating. Um, anybody remember that character's name who's suspected of Sanchez? planting the dynamite? Sanchez. Sanchez. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The, where, where they're initially engaging Sanchez, and the dynamite is found. So the the basically uh, two two sticks of dynamite. Uh, are found in a shoebox but basically if that whole 12 i think that was apparently the first day of film production uh it's about 12 minutes of, of film and basically looking at the use of the camera the different camera techniques that are employed uh how lighting is used to create shadows on the wall uh keeping everybody in close frame to create this feeling of claustrophobia and all, all of that is like as we're going through uh, the different Wells films, I, I think actually there's an opportunity here to kind of understand you know, why he's held in such high esteem. Because you, you can look at it you with, with with his films, you can look at it as as not only his, his directorial um, you know approach, but also his his use of the can- camera and and cinematography and the techniques that he was pioneering uh, at that time. Also, his ability to write a script and to create a story and also his ability to, to, to act. There's so much to kind of pull apart in all of these films um, that I think I think that's 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 where if, if, if I, I assume if one digs deep enough that they can find you know, particularly why he was held as, as being such a brilliant um, everything when, when it yeah. comes to film. Yeah, but it's incredible. Like what what impresses me is like how he controlled the crane in the first place, right? Like that's yeah, unbelievable. He, that's that. I mean, that was because you know, view would be you no, know, just be just. It's really like at that time. Like I mean, animal training is not what it is today. So to be able to really control that crane to run the cameras on is is amazing. Uh-huh. So well, well, well done. Get, get, get a, a golf club. Good job. I'm gonna take that pause to uh to go back 
to that opening scene because Marco, you jumped right to the hotel scene, but I, I was like, I wasn't done um, finishing all over the opening scene. Cause what was amazing is that, so, so you're following this car, right? This camera is focused on this car. And aside from all the sound that's playing in the background, which um, which was not done before, you're the, there's a bomb going off. So the whole time, I, I, I don't know, I watched it and, and I knew it wasn't going to go off just because the fact that it was a 1958 movie and they're not going to blow up a car in front of people. And they, it was going to happen off camera. But then they they kept moving, and then you get you get Charlton Heston and that other, and then they become the main characters, and the camera like fades back and forth between who it's focusing on, who's the main character, the car or him, and the sound kind of overtakes that. You know, when the car comes back in, the car becomes the main sound, and I was like, whoa, this is kind of this is this is like really sets up the whole film, and then you get introduced after that. You get introduced to Orson Welles, the big old curmudgeon, and 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 um, that's my spiel. I don't know if anyone had any thoughts on the opening scene, uh, other than that, but that I, I was I was blown away by it. No, it was, no, it was fantastic. It was, I mean, I, I have nothing to add other than to say it was fantastic. Yeah, again, again, the use the use of the long cut, uh, which which I I I I think. I think many, many moons after Tarkovsky month, I think we're finally starting to appreciate as a club. The That cut, did you guys watch that video that, that I sent about that one, the hotel scene that Marker was talking about with it? Because Pete, I thought you were mimicking the lighting in there because Pete earlier was in, he was, we saw him from being shot from below with the, with the, with the light on him and there was a big shadow on the wall. But the use of shadows in this movie was amazing. Like when, like the, the video went into how the people in the background were not moving because there were so many shadows that if they moved, it would be just like visually distracting. And most of the scenes had um, Orson Welles as the focus. He was the center and he just took it over because he's just a presence as he is. He was great in it. He was awesome. Like I didn't, I don't, I mean, he, he was great in Falstaff, but he was speaking uh, a language I don't understand. So I didn't appreciate him as much as I did. Uh, he was such just a curmudgeon. And the whole the whole interaction between him and uh, Vargas, which I guess was the whole point of the movie, the the law, what is the law versus a you know, the enforcement of law or justice? Yeah, yeah, I guess we we have to, we do have to eventually talk about um about about Quentin and his method of detecting right being a detective let's let's uh, do that. yeah i th i thought it was so yeah, okay let me let me tie in let me tie in two things here cuz this is <clears throat> i am um, i was recently listening to a uh, i think was sam harris's podcast making sense and he interviewed amanda knox um if you remember amanda knox she she was arrested and basically accused and convicted of murder in Italy. That, and she, that was now, that was the girl in Italy. Yeah, and she's now yeah. since you know of course of course her name's been cleared. Um, and it was a podcast on resilience, but you know what she a, dec a documentary just came out on Netflix about uh, about the trial, and um, 
So what was interesting was the prosecutor and the police, both the police and the prosecutor in the trial made up their minds super early on. I mean, like right after the murder at the scene of the crime, they made up their minds who was either involved or guilty, right? I mean, we're talking about like almost day one, like or, or day one slash over the first week. Uh, so instead of doing the process of like investigating and all right, let's let the evidence lead us where to go. They were going off hunches and their hunch was that, yeah, 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 this girl's guilty. And so it, it's incredible because she documents how each piece of evidence that comes through is like a glaring piece of evidence that proves her innocence. But they take that and and will try and fit that piece of the puzzle, twist it, flip it over carve it out so that it fits into their puzzle instead, right? The, regardless of how obvious that piece of evidence is. And this really reminded me of Quentin uh, or parts of Quentin in, in, in this movie, Touch of Evil, because he, his entire thing was that he goes off hunches, right? His hunch was that, and he doesn't give a shit about evidence. He's like, no, no, plant the evidence because that is morally okay, because I know this person's guilty because I'm a great detective, right? And this is the same thing that happened in the Knox case. Now, the irony was that he was actually right in this movie, right? He actually was right. The guy did do it. But for, you know, he he didn't get any of the the, the middle part correct. So I'll, I'll stop there and let you I think I think with that last part, I, I think that's great, that connection. And I think what makes this movie even more more complex is that he was right. It wasn't just as simple as, oh, he's doesn't matter if he's guilty or not. He's just planting the evidence like he he was correct and he's still planting the evidence, which makes it more of a of a of a little delicate conversation, more nuanced conversation, I should say. Marco. Yeah, and, and, I, and I, I think I think what we're supposed to, to take from that um, is uh, how, how do I put this is, is not not to confuse the outlier with the the underlying truth um to things in the, in the sense that at, when you're dealing with the law and and you have um what i i i i guess in sort of the traditional american you know version of 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 you know how people think of the law and justice is is that the law is there to to protect the innocent uh almost at the um at the expense of prosecuting the guilty and that the proper application of the law, it, it will fail at times to bring guilty parties uh, to justice. But we do that in exchange for um, a, uh, a structure that protects the, the innocent at large. Um, so th the fact that he does end up being right does not actually um, uh, nullify uh, the argument that justice and, and the law should should still be applied even in police work. It doesn't matter that he was guilty. You have to follow the law because the the guilty party that's brought to justice, um, you know, how, at how many innocent people had to go to prison under unlawful convictions just to bring that one guilty party to justice. And it's also implied that most of his other convictions were uh, false. 
but and and I think what makes it like because oh, on this on this in the movie on the side of justice was Vargas right Charlton Heston and he he was just I don't know what you guys felt he was not a very likable guy he was very I liked him yeah I, th- I thought I thought it was except except for how well, uh, except for how he was engaging with his wife like that's the thing that was annoying me but I <laughs> as, as a, like as as a as an officer uh I, I thought it was perfectly likable no listen listen he's a man committed to his work and and I get that I've been committed to my work before it doesn't make you a bad who leaves their <laughs> wife on a border town <laughs> listen, in, in, a, in an but, empty but, motel alone no none of us know this but my best guess is that she knew exactly what she was getting into I don't think he changed midway through the relationship right like like she saw this and was like yeah i can get on board so uh for the folks at home brian is saying um she asked for it i think was the uh, uh <laughs> no he was man he was mansplaining that can i just uh can i just um i gotta i gotta go we we could edit that <laughs> but it is <laughs> What are those? Oh, but, but I know. Trying to get canceled at this point. I was saying neither of those things. So fuck you and fuck you. So too. she was being entrapped and set up in her situations, and he was oblivious to that because he didn't realize that like his enemies were going after his girlfriend. So it was. Yeah, I think he was just so focused. He was just so focused on the case, and I think that's what would made him not it's not a clearly defined uh protagonist and antagonist because your protagonist is flawed in that he's just like abandoning his wife to focus on this case and he's a bit of a goody two-shoe yeah but you know, course, that, right, but he's but also, also right he's also right in that quinlan is wrong he's he's planting evidence he's the guy's a horrible person as well i'm just it's not like a very clear cut like he's the hero and quinlan's the bad guy yeah, but that also takes some agency. No, that takes some agency away from the wife as well, thinking that she's there needing to be protected. Like she's a, like if it was a woman detective and a man and the woman detective's like, I got to go to this case. Like we wouldn't be saying sitting here being like, oh, they abandoned the man and just left him in a hotel. Like we wouldn't be saying that at all. So like, it's like, you know, give the woman agency. She's her own person. She makes her own decisions. That's what I was saying before. That's why I don't look at him as a bad guy. I look at them. I look at these two two people as being two two older people who make their own decisions and they're adults and that's it. And that's why I like the character. I liked him because, you know, she's her own person. He's her, his own person. They make decisions. She was And yeah, she wasn't crazy that he left her. She wasn't crazy about that. But I mean, again, they make their own decisions. So... Fair enough. I don't think I, I I didn't have as much of an issue. I think I with him um, leaving his wife there as I did with just how how just highfalutin he was about the law. But my only problem with the scenes of her that I was complaining about is just when when she was trapped and she knew she was trapped, there were just way too many scenes of her like in a room like. Oh, you know, oh, well, am I, am I supposed to just stay here? Well, well, Wait, Pete. What, what am I supposed to do? Like, she was acting very like, even when she didn't know she was like being held by her enemies, she it, it just seemed odd. It dragged on for a bit of her being like a little acting a little dumb about it. Pete, you gotta you gotta imagine if you're in a hotel that has a central radio that's playing music throughout 
Did anyone else find that what is weird? Like, is that what they did in the 50s? They had hotels that they just played music. Forced you to listen to whatever music they were playing at the front desk. Yeah, like the front desk was the DJ. And she's like, whatever, whatever the guy liked. If the guy was into, um, you know, if the guy was into the Who, you'd be listening to the Who all day. Not that they were around back then, but it was all doo-wop. And the music in this was great. Or... Or in, in a parallel universe, uh, a 24-hour uh, David Bowie forced listening experience. Oh, Marco, you remember that. Boy, what a callback. <laughs> wow, that's a callback. To, yeah, you messed up. When, when, our, when our roommate Tim lost a bet to Raguch and, that, and the, the, the terms were that he has to stay in his dorm room for 24 hours while Raguch played like David Bowie's entire discography. <laughs> and there was the there was the time where, because this was back when there were CDs, the CD skipped. It was really later in the day and, and it skipped. So I, tur- I started the song again. And he and it was the first time I ever saw him like oh, like get physically violent. Almost, <laughs> he stood up. <laughs> but then he became a Bowie fan after that. See, immersion therapy is what he, they call that. He was in the wrong because he was not into Bowie. Um, but yeah, that hotel scene. Let's can we talk about the let's let's talk about the hotel scene. Reefer. A lot of reefer talk in this movie, how bad the reefer was. And her, it was, it got dark for a 1958 movie. It didn't show what happened, but can we that all? That was super dark. That was really dark because he had that one girl that was like, I want to stay and watch. She wanted to watch her essentially, I, I guess I could say, get, get gang raped by this. But they, they made it. It was dark there, but then, like five minutes later, they acted like nothing happened. Five minutes later, they're like, "Oh yeah, your wife's. You know, your wife's here. She's just, you know, being held or whatever." And, yeah, which, I, I wonder. I if did. That... I know. I I did wonder whether the, whether it was a rape or whether they when they said grab her legs, I wondered. Wait, this is the 1950s, so like maybe it was just grab her legs to like carry her out. But you're right. The woman saying, "I want to stay and watch," but it could also mean I want to stay and watch her like struggle while they carry her. Out. I was just really surprised that they went there at that time. Yeah, at that it's... time period. That's why. That's why I question whether it could be one or the other. You know, it's it's unclear. It is unclear. But the the assumption definitely is that it happened because that that comment, like, "I want to stay and watch," like. That I, th- I think that, but but that, but again, I, I I just to play devil's advocate, like back at that time period, that might mean something else, right? Because we're pretty sick right now. We'll we'll show anything on camera. Back then, they they, they would not. Well, so that, I, they I didn't that show might... it, and I think that's that's why that's that was a way of him showing it, but not showing. Yeah, maybe. maybe. This is this is also Orson Welles. I mean, this is not somebody who's going to be abiding by the typical. No, and the motherfucker left his cane everywhere. They kept they, that's the the second time I watched it. That's the one thing I noticed. He left. Oh, I didn't. Everywhere. I didn't pick up on that. And that set up that set up him, his buddy there, um, Mr. Meeseeks. Wait, what's his name? Uh, Pete. His name was Pete. Mr. Meeseeks, like from Rick and Morty. <laughs> Pete Pete Manessas or something. Uh, the, the his main. Um, Wells is Wells is part there. Can you help me with my can you help me with my golf shot? <laughs> Hell yeah. Wait, that's not what you said. 
Can do. Can do. <laughs> oh, Jerry, oh yeah. Jerry, Can do. And then the Meeseeks has to call another Meeseeks for help. And then they keep doing that. And then they all fucking turn on each other and murder that, each that other. Might, that might be the best episode. Right. Is it is it keep the legs strength? Is it keep the arm strength or the legs? But oh, Jerry, how many times we got to go over this? It's gold. <laughs> I've been here for three days. An eternity in Meeseeks time. Meeseeks aren't supposed to live this long. It's starting to get weird. <laughs> uh, anyway, right. the, apparently Pete has not watched Rick and Morty. <laughs> I think we lost him at all. Pete's like he's like doing work right now. He's just turned to he's like fuck it. I'm going to my other screen. But the post get home. Pete's at his stand up desk looking at another screen. I you know I probably I probably watched ten Rick and Morty episodes, and I think like. I think that was enough, you know. I think I got the I got the experience. I don't know, so that's where I'm at with that. You know, I don't. Well, to bring it back to um, this movie, his his buddy there, which uh, I, I did write his name down, is not Mister Mises, but that that's what made him. Ah, that's what made him realize that Quinlan is a bad guy. He found the cane at the murder scene. So, but the, like every, he left his cane throughout the whole time. There was a scene where Charlton Heston was making the phone call in the, in the, in the store across the street. And the guy brought his cane. He brought Quinlan's cane to the hotel room, that, that long take of the hotel scene. And he was in the street while Charlton Heston was on the phone. He was just kind of waving the cane at Grandy to like get him in the door. And there's just so much going on. And every, seen this because the second time i watched it i was like oh let me this movie's a little long the first time i watched it let me see like what would i cut out wasn't much i would cut out i would i might cut out the the part where the guy tries to throw acid at charlton heston and then they flash the light in their flashlight in their hotel room was just kind of like "Eh." how about this how about this to cut out can somebody explain to me what the role of the gypsy was the gypsy, yeah, she was a. Why is she in the movie? Oh, it, oh was she is so? When when Quinlan, that question, yeah, I asked in the chat over here, but um, when Quinlan was trying, when he was pinning crimes on people, was he using her at all to like tell about his fortune? Because he he also didn't he also make a comment about how people in his position can't get wealthy, and how that was like making making him angry about his career. That he would he said I, something about that when when um when Vargas accused him in the in the hotel room he brought the DA folks into the hotel room and then he's like whoa and he like threw his threw his badge down he's like I've been working to this I've been like like working for like no pay for all this time and then later he does say like oh I could have I could have made all this money at the last so what, so what was the role of the gypsy was she just like a I, fortune, fortune teller or something but like even so- i just i i thought that was that was a, a a previous some kind of previous romantic interest or seemed to be implied that that he used to go visit her a lot in his, his younger days because his, his wife uh, his backstory is that his wife gets murdered 30 years previously and he can't 
catch the killer because of the restrictions of the law. So that's that's his sort of origin story. Okay. Um, even if what even if that's the case, why is she there? She served. I see, I don't see. I don't understand the purpose she serves. She doesn't contribute anything. She has the no no. no there's there's that scene where 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 she he throws down. It's uh, who, who, whose hand is that? So that the tarot cards are thrown down, and she's like, you know, it's you have basically saying that he has no future. Sort of foretelling what is to happen. Um, like you can you can cut that out, and there would be zero change to the movie. Um, but well, Brian, well Brian, they, what I was going for was: Do you think in past crimes, when he was trying to find out who it was and plant the evidence, do you think he went to her to to get some like advice of like who could it have been? You know, I, I, don't, I, know. I don't know. I, I get, there's no indication that because because he was so, asking and reading for for him like personally. But I don't think about the case. I don't know. The, the, one thing, there's not enough information. One thing to keep in mind is that uh, there's a lot of there's a lot that's autobiographical of Orson Welles' work. Um, so this ends up being his last film that he does within the Hollywood studio system. Um, so a lot of times in these films, Orson, you, you can also look at it as Welles kind of expressing, you know, where where he is. Uh, in life a lot like Falstaff being very autobiographical in his presentation um, but this is basically uh, a lot of times the, the the characters that Orson Welles chooses to play are a lot of times speaking to you know how he sees himself or, or his lot in life and and, and at fine. this point yeah it also so, so, I mean, that's, that's, that's the, my major the, critique the, of the movie well right there, well, that, right there it also, like she, she's not needed Fine, like all right, he wants to express himself, but like that doesn't help the movie. No, well, for to put it in the context of the movie, I'd say it gave it gave like a background context of the character, because you get you you find out through her that like this is a place that he used to he used to we find out that he used to be on the booze, he was an alcoholic, he was a lot thinner. She doesn't even recognize him when mm. when he first goes in there. So there used to be a place where I think mm. he used to just. It, it was his love interest, I guess, after after his wife died, was murdered. That's what I thought. But then yeah. but then also, you know, you, you do get more of a background story of the character. Like she's like, oh, now he's into candy bars. Like she didn't recognize him. So, you know, he was, like I, a, I mean, I, he was a complete through her. You know that he was a completely different person before that. I get it. Like, like 30%, I think percent I can criticism. buy that. But I don't know. Like one one criticism that that can be made is that there's not enough of Quinlan's backstory that gets developed in order to have proper empathy for the character. I think I think it's it's too easy. It's too easy to find him as detestable. You know what? Another criticism that can be made is is that I think that the 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 gypsy didn't really have much of a purpose other than Raguch kind of touched on some of it, but well, well, that's what. That Marco, Marco, what did you say? Say, repeat what you just said, because I was going to comment on it. I, well, now I, now I just got distracted. I don't, I don't even remember yeah, what I just. You, empathy, empathy. That's, that's Brian's whole zero. For the folks at home, Brian's strategy is to just derail the conversation. <laughs> Marco was saying that it, it's a character that lets you build empathy. Right, right, exactly. You don't, okay. you don't have not enough empathy. For the Quinlan character, in in order for, uh, it, it, I it there's there's not enough kind of inner turmoil 
that's created in your, your, your decision as to whether or not Quinlan's a good or a bad person, because that part of his backstory isn't developed enough in order to have that appropriate amount of empathy to, to create that sort of inner contradiction as to whether or not um, Quinlan is correct in his approach. But I think I think that's the point is that you don't want to empathize too much with them. But what this character does is that it gives enough information through her. You find out a lot about his past just through the fact that he used to go over there. He used to eat chili. He used to he used to just drink. And, and then the last scene, he it, there's something to be said about the fact that he ends there. He's sitting there in her place, just and she's not a gypsy. She's it's a brothel, like that. It's it, like it's a gypsy brothel. Yeah, that was that was my understanding. No, the brothel, the, the brothel, the brothel leader is Jaja Gabor. That's it, what the IMDb credits say. It's not a brothel. Well, they call it something. What, what a strip club? Marlene. Yeah. I, I think I think I may have thought that it was the same establishment. Because I I think I may have thought the strip club and the the fortune teller was was the same establishment. But I, apparently, then okay. The fortune teller was played by uh, Marlena Dietrich, and she was a she was a big deal, I guess, back in the day, and and it was kind of a big deal, I guess, that she was like uncredited at the beginning to when she was in this movie. I thought she was great, wasn't she? She was amazing. Just, yeah. Just just when she appears on on like just her like picking up the phone and staring into the phone, I thought it was like she was very captivating. And she had the last line of the film. Like that's there's something to be said about the last line of the film, which I put in my quotes as like the number one quote. But I don't want to I don't, don't want to blow my load too early or anything. But huge. Why, why all the what? <laughs> What what is it what is it with today? <laughs> you, you you're just like all the I've had a, I'm, I'm, I'm almost done with my second beer and I've 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 had a drink before we 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 met so maybe that's why. But I I just want to I'm I'm all I'm all revved up about this movie and I think that I I understand what you're saying Bri like oh what's her point but I think she, there's she's so and, and captivating she... in her in herself She's by in and by herself. She's so captivating. And she does give us a lot of background. Just her existence gives us a lot of background. And I don't disagree with she background. I, like she definitely gives background on the character. Yeah. And, I, and I think she does an awesome job. Um, but I just, you know, I think that the movie wouldn't change much without her. Like Ooh. those background points could have easily been picked up. By she she can be substituted for many other different things. Well, they could have just like said it like that. Like that would have been the classic. Just that I think that's what I've realized from watching this movie. Other thing could have been done in different ways in a just general movie way. Like they could that first shot could have been like, oh, I'm gonna put this bomb in here, bang, and then the yeah, but that's a straw off. man. That's like, a straw man though. Yeah, like you, when you say like it could have just been done in a general way. Yeah, of course it would have been worse. But I mean. It could have also been done in some other way that wasn't like you're saying, right? But I'll change scenes. We've talked, we've t discussed that at length. How about the strangle scene with the uh, the uncle? That entire scene in the room with the light constantly flashing from black to no light to light, no light to light, no light to light. Oh, that was great. Oh my god, I loved that. That was my favorite scene in the movie. I think, other than the opening scene, that was my favorite scene in the movie. And then his his face. Hanging over her body. Oh, so dead. creepy. 
so freaky. Uh, that, that, that was crazy. I, I, I get, again, crazy. again, like, like the wife, like how is she going to get over that amount of trauma? <laughs> that was best practical <laughs> effects, 1947. <laughs> and it's all done with, with just a light and in a room, like a light a light in a room. And and it and again calling back to the the he's like I'm gonna use a string because strings don't leave fingerprints. And mm. all the while they're playing like up tempo like bongos and and really intense music. I thought that was a great choice of music too. It kind of, it didn't it didn't really fit the mood, but on purpose it didn't really fit. The mood. Isn't that how his wife got killed too? Or no? Yeah, by the. Uh, strangulation yeah that's what he oh okay it wasn't the string same exact it was oh, just Pete, maybe that's why you thought that she she did he killed her yeah i just wasn't sure if there was a uh, no that's 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 interesting i could see i could say how you how you would think that yeah i mean i don't know maybe maybe he did it, it's he he only talks about it when he's in like his drunk when he goes from like bar to bar and he starts drinking he falls off the wagon he's like did i ever tell you how my wife was killed strangulation that's interesting maybe may actually you think you think that that is because there's no way that's a coincidence that then he kills him by strangling him you can make a the, i don't think there's enough information i'd have to watch that a third time yeah, yeah, yeah. No, nothing's definite but um that's a weird coincidence pete you might be onto something uh, i i just took that uh, as him learning the lesson of how to get away with murder also that and and there's there's you know there's that that poetic sense of i i'm because my wife was taken away from me in this manner i'm going to get my revenge by taking out uh these criminals in in the same manner can i just say we are um way overdue i think for a little for, segment for um so I think what you're referring to is a little segment that we like to call QQ Says. Meow. 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 Uh, since uh, Orson Welles does not like to put fucking cats in his shitty ass movies, meow, I am going to share with you a website called Cats That Look Like Orson Welles. Meow, meow. <laughs> I put the link. Uh, my owner actually put the link in the in the in the chat. But oh my god! And look at cats that look like Orson Welles. Meow, meow. Is this could this, this possibly be better than Hitler's? Oh my god. <laughs> this is amazing. I will I will put this in the uh in the show notes. <laughs> I'm already there, bud. <laughs> my good god, it's real. And, and it looks like it has quotes oh. from like Orson Welles underneath the pictures. Oh <laughs> my god. This is great. A good artist should be isolated. If he isn't isolated, something is wrong. And it's just a side-by-side -side <laughs> picture with a cat and Orson Welles. Okay, well, I, I advise everyone to check this out. This is unbelievable.
cats that look like Orson Welles. There you go. There you go. Okay. So, um, Rouge, what's the? I always screw the order up here. What's the? Um, okay. Um, the next no dump or no dump? No dump. Next would be no dump, unless Marco has Ask AI. Ask AI. Ask AI would be before no dump. Oh, so, so then, I, I mean, let's All right, see. I'm going to go grocery shopping. I'll be right back. I'm sorry to, br I'm sorry that I brought it. Sure, yeah. Yeah. So, so actually, actually, it's it's less of a less of an ask AI and just more of a uh, anecdote. Um, the first time I used ChatGPT, my question to ChatGPT uh, or a request rather was. Uh, create a discussion between Orson Welles and Winston Churchill on what to have for dinner. And uh, what came up was that Churchill wanted a traditional Sunday roast and Orson Welles suggested Coco Vat. So, so there you go. If that was like my Ask week. AI. If, it, if it's like that every week, I support Ask AI. I like that. <laughs> So there, if, if if ever there were a dinner between Wells and Churchill, um, the, the dinner menu would be Sunday roast, a British classic, and uh, that uh, most famous of French chicken dishes, Cocovin. Yeah, but that's just the first course. He would eventually order a big lobster after that. And if you bring Hitchcock in, you know, then we just then it's like a round of steaks. If you bring Hitchcock in, it's just going to be like like around boof. Here we go. Another right. back. Uh, next segment. Uh, no dump. No dump. Uh, let's 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 dump our notes. I do have the. Um, what did y'all think of the old? Uh, one of my notes is the old timey wiretapping scene. I thought that was fun, where they where the the guy wore a wire and he was just running running around behind him with the uh, with the recorder and then it echoed and that set up that, that whole confrontation is like what you're wearing when no, you pretty... which, which, which was a scene that that made a little practical sense but worked well for for the story I, yeah that might have been one of my favorite scenes because i was i was hooked on that scene good suspense hmm. and I oh I also have a good a good note here. Uh, this was screened at the 1958 Brussels World Fair. The judges, uh, who were they were then critics. Jean Luc Godard was one All of the enterprise, right? And he awarded the uh, the top prize, and he and he loved it. And it was very influential for uh, for for Godard. Yeah, in, in general, the French seem to, to really appreciate uh, Wells Wells's work. I was on the fence until until this one. Uh, okay, anyone uh, anyone else got any other notes? I have no notes. I have I have already dumped my notes. Pete, does Pete take no Pete? Do you take notes? Um, no, not I I I have in the past, but not for this one. Um, and I don't, I've said everything I had here. All right. Now uh, my, uh, my, my final, final note dump, uh, is I, I forgot. I, I did ask, ask AI an additional question, which is if Orson Wells were a food, what food would he be? Uh, and ChatGPT came up with beef Wellington. 
a complex, rich, and layered dish. And under uh, classic and timeless as one of the reasons, uh, beef wellington is considered a classic, timeless dish akin to how Wells's films, particularly Citizen Kane and Touch of Evil, are timeless masterpieces in cinema. So there you go. Why did you ask that question? <laughs> you could have come up with that on your own. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think I was reminded of uh, uh, SNL Will Ferrell as Harry Carey uh, asking in his interview, if, if you were a hot dog, would you eat yourself? And I was just like, how how is that? I was like, okay, so so what the uh, hi food? everybody, how a carrot here? Would you eat? Don't don't dance around the question. It's a simple question. I, oh, I'm, that's I'm good. Totally... I know I would, and then I'd polish it off with a towel, cool Budweiser. Um, I, I'm taking this opportunity to ask ChatGPT if if we're a hot dog, would it eat itself? Marco, while you're doing that, um, I was going to say the food that I would choose because it was multi, because there were many layers would be lasagna, which we all know is the favorite food of Garfield. You did that on purpose. Nope. You did that on purpose. This does not count. I'm sorry. It does not count toward the Heathcliff count. That was on purpose. Wait, first of all, <laughs> it's not fucking Heathcliff. It's Garfield. <laughs> Get your get your cats straight. Did I say Heathcliff? <laughs> you said you did. did. You fucked up. I'm sorry. I'm like a couple whiskeys deep. I'm sorry. <laughs> Our first Heathcliff reference. All cats are not the same. I. <laughs> you... Oh god! Can we get, can we just move to quote dump? We gotta move. I did. I I did want to mention that um in my note my note dump. Is that all the actors like really wanted to work with Orson Welles, like like um, Janet Lee from Psycho? Apparently, she the her agent didn't even tell her about it, but Orson Welles sent her a letter and be like, "I'm looking forward to working with you," because the pay was so low. But everybody took like lower pay to work with them. Oh. It was it was just like a because he never had any money to make any of his movies, so he couldn't pay anybody. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a theme. There's a theme in most of his work about running out of money. Uh, but he did so much with so little. Yeah, it's incredible. Sometimes nothing. It's. I I mean I I I think that speaks to him as as truly an artist, or a liar, <laughs> or <laughs> it really speaks to him as a liar. So I, I actually, I, we may not actually get to this, but I, I have, I have other notes uh, with Lady from Shanghai, like also, you know, speaking to no, this. We're getting to it. So note dump All right, right now. Let's, let's... I'll start. I No, no, no. Quote dump. Sorry. Quote dump. Ready? I only have one quote. He was a great cop. He was a great detective and a lousy cop. It's a good one. It's a good one. Yeah. I will. Next. Um, I will follow. Anyone else have notes? Quotes? I've got a quote. Give your quote, Marco. Uh, a policeman's job is only easy in a police state. Here we go. Another good one. I have the last quote of the film. He was some kind of a man. What does it matter what you say about people? 
from from uh, the lady the that gypsy. Brian Brian wants to delete from the film. <laughs> okay. Well, whatever. Next, unnecessary Let's... for the plot line. Oh, oh! I also have it's not. Well, a quote. It's a. It, but it's in the. It's like a the sign in the convenience store. It says, "If you are mean enough to steal from the blind, help yourself." I, I got oh, it. that that was great. I love that sign. Well, that's why I didn't know which, she was blind. Which Pete didn't, I didn't see. see that sign. Okay. <laughs> and she and you didn't hear her say, "I'm blind. I don't I have didn't. a phone book." I didn't. This was like Alphaville, I guess, or uh, Shakespeare at that point, I guess. Okay, so we we had us we had a supplemental. It was called "Lady from Shanghai" from 1947. Orson Welles puts on a, uh, an Irish accent. It also stars uh, Rita Hayworth, which yeah. she name from the the 40s is a big uh, is a big. Who was his wife at the time? His wife at the time, yeah. Wait. He was married to Rita Hayworth in real life. He he was associated with some beautiful women. Let's let's just let's just put it that way. Jesus Christ, though. He was much more spelt in uh, 1947. Well, he was not like his his last uh, partner, um, the Croatian woman. He was not spelt then. He was still. So he he's but he but the thing is he um he's a dynamic character. He really is. I mean, you. I mean, just watch commands the room. video of him speaking, and he—he's just captivating. And he, yeah, he just completely commands the room. He, he commands also, the room. Yeah. He, he was also late Orson Welles when he had that that late girlfriend, so he had already had the notoriety and the fame. Boyacoto away from a young Boyacoto. Cody, you just all right, all right. So, so who who watched Lady from Shanghai? First of all. Shanghai, sorry. Ooh, uh, okay, let's do this. But we don't have to go a whole hour here. on this one. But okay, so at least three out of four of us, potentially four out of four of us. Uh, um. Anyway, so so very quickly, uh, based on the novel "If I Die Before I Wake" by Sherwood King, uh, he did the movie because previous to doing this film. He was doing a live stage adaptation of Jules Verne's Around the World in 80 Days. And he needed, uh, the original producer pulled out, he needed $55,000 to release the costumes for the performance. And he went to Columbia President, uh, Columbia Pictures President Harry Cohn and said, if you give me the 55 grand so I can do my production, I will write direct and act in a film for free so that that's where the the film came out in agreement to basically agree to do a, an additional film so you could actually put on this performance of uh around the world in 80 days so my quick notes on it uh the film was shot almost entirely on location and kind of speaking back to an earlier discussion we had and i can't remember which movie but discussing uh setting as character uh this is that's very prominent in the film and, and making sure in order to to bring that realism um and his approach is almost like documentary film style that as they're going uh in the film they're going to alcapoco uh i'm gonna not pronounce this correctly but pied de la Cuesta, uh, Sausalito, San Francisco, 
So actually being on location and bringing that authenticity of environment to the film was really important to him creating this vision. Um, And then also uh, this film in particular is really important because of the ending scene in the Hall of Mirrors, which later went on to inspire Enter the Dragon, like who knew? Uh, but also James Bond, Man with Golden Gun, and Chapter Two of John Wick, among others. So this uh, movie actually has uh, a lot of importance to later pop culture works. Um, and and there's a, a scene in Ghostbusters Two where uh, <laughs> Rick, Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis, Annie Potts, and Sigourney Weaver are discussing the film in Bill Murray's apartment. So I'm gonna, so, have, to yeah. go back I'm gonna have to go back and watch that. Yeah, another reason to watch uh, Ghostbusters too. You know, speaking, can, of- you can I, there's no way. I'm sorry, there's just no fucking way that we can bring up Ghostbusters two without talking about the soundtrack. Bobby Brown had a like absolute hit track on that called "On Our Own." Um, that that I had memorized the rap from in high school, and it is it is a fantastic track. So I just want to point everybody out to that. Doesn't get enough play these days. But anyway, um, so so thoughts thoughts on the film. Um, not as good as Touch of Evil. Uh, in particular, uh, I found the character of George Grisby to be really annoying. <laughs> I, I, I found found his character in, in particular to be rather grating, um, but but overall it was I enjoyed seeing uh, a younger Orson Welles. Um, again, the the use of 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 filming on location definitely created a, it, it. It made a very attractive film as a result. Um, the plot line at the time was considered to be a little difficult to follow. I thought it was it was a little convoluted and tricky, but overall, uh, the point came across easily enough. I think that this film also actually um, went through extensive cuts and editing. So Wells delivers this film on time and under budget. Cohn, who's producing the film, decides he's unhappy with it forces reshooting and uh, a year's worth of editing on the film. So the film comes uh, uh, past deadline and over budget. And this is one of the reasons why Orson Welles was developing a reputation as that type of director, not through any fault of his own, but because there was so much clashing between him. Can can you? Sorry, cut off for a second there. Can you imagine putting all your effort and like years into a piece and then having somebody else come in and just get to decide what the final say is like, imagine you're a paint Raguch, imagine you're a painter, right? And you, <laughs> you paint a painting, but then you hand it off to somebody and you're like, Oh, I can't wait to see the final version. Yeah. Well, this is so, why I so- fucking couldn't direct. So, so we're not we're not going to get to it this week, but this this is the significance of frozen peas, because eventually he just ended up he ends up self funding 
uh, most much of his later work by taking on these uh, commercial projects. You mean because like he did? He, you mean like he did at the beginning of our podcast? Right. Yes. Of course. Yeah. From the grave. Yeah. Yeah. He still. He still. He still needs. Needs he's, some, some cash. He's and shit for the afterlife. All right. Um, so uh, there was a scene in the aquarium where where I thought was awesome. I mean, awesome. We're in the background instead of being at an aquarium. <laughs> they going had, on. They had they had movie screens of fish, yeah. and they, everything was completely out of proportion. There was that a was like there that had like a three foot diameter. <laughs> <laughs> I was like. Like they're all huge. Like that's that's the the biggest sea turtle I've ever seen in my life. It was amazing. I thought that was I thought that was awesome. That's my note. I mean, I have other notes, but that, that's that's the one. And speaking of uh, and speaking of location, oh, actually, uh, for the folks at home, Pete just left. He says, "I got to run early flight. The heat is on." TV thirty eight. Bye bye. What does that mean? The heat is on. Ragooch, dude. The heat is on is that everybody fucking knows this. The heat is on is the slogan for um, when you used to watch the Bruins back in the 90s. They'd do, the heat is on TV 38. Wait, I thought, <laughs> heat, I thought he was talking about he was listening to a, a Whitney Houston song. She definitely didn't do that jingle. I know for a fact. Oh, no. But but is the Bruins on? Is that what he means? The heat is on, dude. That that's the only thing that he can mean. He must be watching reruns of the Bruins. It's ten forty one right now. If you tune into Nessen, reruns of the Bruins are on. Oh my God, is Pete like a like an undercover Bruins fan? Closet Bruins fan. Always wow. knew it. Always um. Knew it. Anyway, speaking of location, I think that's that. I can I can also tie it back into the what is the movie where the main thing that we Touch of Evil, where where like everything all the locations are so important and marco you mentioned that location as a character that's that's comes that goes back to like iceland that was the iceland movies marco, mm. i was trying to figure out when we were what movie we were discussing i looked yeah, back what? it wasn't this month it was some because I, I this was one of my points i brought up the point and i can't remember what month it was of recent. i can't i can't I... It came up. I mean, that was a big thing in the Iceland movies, like with Ram. With, yeah, um, like that. Like the, the cat I would love to redo that month. character. But 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 it was more recent than that that we had the discussion. What we had, we had a very recently. What what was your who is who was before Pete? What was before Mystery Month? The Cronenberg. Cronenberg. What was before that? Well, we don't have to decide this. We 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 don't have to. Oh, it must have been Dead Ringers. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, so the mirror. I thought the mirror scene. Oh um, no, that was no, be, uh, Bri. That was you had the um that well that was Hitchcock. Hitchcock. Ah. Uh, and then uh, Werner Herzog and Klaus Kinski. Maybe that was. That's what it was. That's what it was. It was. It was, yeah. it was Herzog month. Uh, Herzog yeah. Kinski month. That's what it was. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. That was going to bother me for a while. the the only The only other note I had with the um the the mirror shootout scene I thought was was well done. I thought that was innovative. I mean, I think it was innovative at least at the time. I don't know if anybody it was super innovative. It oh, inspired it's... like a host of other films. Yeah, 
and so that was um yeah like puff the magic dragon and uh which always comes up if let's, I let's had that VHS tape. Garfield is Garfield <laughs> off the back of driving. Heathcliff. <laughs> Location as character. Heathcliff is Out. like the bastard brother to Garfield. Like people don't ever talk about Heathcliff and fucking Mongo, right? No, no nobody. I love Heathcliff. I loved watching Heathcliff. I loved Mongo. And the dude our, 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 what was his name? I don't remember. On 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 a on a serious note, I, I I'm gonna get called for denim soon. We should we should wait wait wait. Right. We we gotta do we gotta do. We didn't do ratings. Oh yeah. We I got I my my quote my quote from um the lady from Shanghai is uh and this this honestly this is a quote for everybody's life basically. Just think about this when you like walk out of a grocery store or something. Everybody is somebody's fool. That's a good one. Mm. I fucking love that. I might tattoo that one on my back. You should tattoo it on your good one. <laughs> okay. My my quote <laughs> was give my love to the sunrise. Oh. Oh, sweet. But uh, I forgot. Marco, I forgot, forgot to, just just go to rating. Marco, rate um touch of evil. Uh, touch of evil. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with nine and a half car bombs out of ten. Shit. Hey, fucking a. All right, Bry. I'm gonna say, um, three point seven five out of five. Um. Flapping Rita Hayworth's. Flap. I, that was a scene. That was a scene from uh, Shanghai, the movie Shanghai, which I was shocked at. I was like, "He slapped Rita Hayworth. You can't do that. That's that is uncalled for." But the rating is for Touch of Evil. Correct. Okay. I, and I like the again. I just want to remind people: three out of five for me is a good rating. Um, but three point seven five is almost a four. And that's out of five. Yeah, except except all the languages in Shakespeare, so I just docked it zero point two five points. Wait, did you just just, just say three point seven five out of four? So like out of four out of stars. <laughs> wow, this is the most confusing rating. I, I have I have because Pete's one, not here to tell us what it means I, out of ten. I have one point eight thumbs out of two. <laughs> all right, my rating is I've been very low. So far, and all of my uh, all my Wellsian ratings, it's been except, except for the like, trial. You uh, never mentioned the trial earlier, Raguch. I mentioned that that I liked you it. Didn't. You I didn't did. mention it. Well, I mentioned it last week. I didn't talk about it this week. I did. I did see it, and I did like um, what's his neck doing the thing there? Well, just I'm I'm starting to lose. I'm starting to lose my words. Let's. I'm getting drunk. I'm getting drunk. All right, what's your rating? Come on, give us the rating. 10 out of 10. What? 10 out of 10. All right, there it is. 10 there out it of is. 10. I was blown away, and it went up. Brian, Brian, Brian has just left. Brian has stormed off, either in shock or disgust. 
We don't know which one. It's not disgust. It's just I. I, I... Hey. <laughs> we need to ask him tomorrow. I feel like we're, we're holding. I'm. I'm putting. You know what? I'm like. I'm. Who regulates the stock market? I'm one of those guys who shuts it down. I'm like, we're shutting this down. We're shutting it down right now. Let's check back tomorrow. We need 24 hours to just cool off. No, this Dude, is it. This is ten out of ten. This is like. All right. All right, lady, lady, that was touchy people, right? What about lady from Shanghai? Go, I don't, Ryan. Um, I don't have the energy to rate supplements. I, I don't. I didn't. Oh, for Christ's sake, Pete, just fucking give a rating. Okay, <laughs> let's give. But I didn't give out of what a ten out of ten. Um, ten out of ten grandies, grandy siblings, I guess. Um, yeah, the lady, lady from Shanghai, I wasn't as high on. I'd give that a. 6.5 out of 10. Um, a Rita Hayworth speaking Mandarin. Oh, uh, that was Cantonese. That was not Mandarin. Fuck. Raguchi, fucking idiot. Fuck. Edit in post. <laughs> we'll edit in post. <laughs> That's why I didn't understand it. I, I was wondering why I didn't understand it. You are so stupid. <laughs> but, He's from uh, Shanghai. <laughs> why would she be speaking? Kids at ease. Well, this, but no, this is funny. Like, I, I actually don't know because the thing, well, it, it wasn't an, it wasn't an, in an American Chinatown, but they weren't speaking Mandarin. So oh, it makes sense from the context of an American Chinatown. It doesn't right. make sense from the context of the character. Right, right. So I, I don't know. Unless, unless, and I doubt this, they were speaking Shanghainese. Because it was really, really tough to understand what they were saying. As far as I could tell, it was Cantonese, but I couldn't understand a word. All right, because I understood, I understood perfectly, and it was super clear to me. You know what? Was it really? Fuck you! I'm I'm dropping my score down to a six. Oh, okay. All right, all right, all right. I'm gonna give this a three out of five waterfront agitators. (laughs) Out of ten or out of five? I said fucking five. Three out of five. <laughs> I thought you said three. Three, three out of five out of ten. Three fifths I, out of ten. I'm giving it a three fifths out of ten. Is essentially what. <laughs> three out of uh, five. Uh, waterfront uh, agitator. So it, it, it's it's got a, a score of point six. <laughs> I, I, there's no way. Yeah. yeah. Oh, all right, all right, all right, all right. I, I, I'm, I'm getting called in the background. So, uh, all right, I'm, I have it at three point seven five Copacabanas out of five. Wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I, the mirror scene alone. The mirror. Mirror scene alone is great. Oh. And and he's gone. And fucking just like just like that, Marco's gone too. Okay. Well, Ryuch is just me and you, bud. <laughs> all right what what other movies do you want to discuss i mean uh we we forgot to mention that uh, wayne's world 2 because <laughs> that wayne's world still holds up man this is a solid movie oh yeah i watched it a couple weeks ago actually <laughs> really <laughs> i did i forget why but wayne's world 2 has the the remember the scene where like he was looking for the church at the end He's like, I'm looking for like whatever street. And like, ah, oh, I remember Bleach. Yeah. And, and he's like, can we get a better actor? And they bring in Charlton Heston. 
Yeah, fucking a, and that, and that, listen, that's why that's relevance to this week. It is. Yeah, that's pray. why. Wow. Okay. Great. Awesome. All right. Anyway, well, next I'm gonna week. give a I'm gonna give a teaser next week as to what I'm doing. Hey, how many do do I have? Um, I already have a month planned for next week. By the way, Ooh. except I need five. I I need five weeks for it, so I don't think I can use it. It's a really good month too. You guys are gonna love it, but I I need five weeks so. Okay, we're I... gonna have to look at the schedule because February I... only has four, so we'd have to play the MRAC. If we do a special night where it's a, it, if it's a special night where we do it separate from, if you so guys we... give me that one awards night and we do the awards night on a separate, we would just have to meet twice a week. Hey, I'm okay with that. I'm okay. okay. We'll, we'll have to talk. Um, we'll t- we'll talk and we'll we'll bring bring it to the chat. See what they think. Yeah. Well, this is this is Brian and this is Raguch. Hey, cut it off quick before Marco signs. Uh, Marco's back. Oh, Jesus. Stop, stop the recording. Quit it. Do it. Stop. Um, okay. Stop it. Wait. Wait. <laughs> no, stop it. Stop it. Do it. Cut it. Sorry. Sorry. My, my iPad died. God damn it. Raguch, you were supposed to stop it, man. I could I could still stop it. I mean, he's already here, though. All right. All right. Marco. All right. I, we're signing off. Marco. I do have to get going, though. Yeah, well, you fucking signed, you charged up your iPad and signed back on to tell us that you had to get going. <laughs> He's clearly not Irish. This motherfucker, <laughs> Brun Del Rey. Like, come on. That's not Irish at all. That would be rude. That would be a rude thing to do. This would be an Irish goodbye. All right, Marco, what are we watching next next week? So next week we have Citizen Kane and the Magnificent Ambers- Am- Ambersons. Um, and we... Uh, I would like if we could find the, again, sort of the restored or recreated version of Wells's uh, original vision, if possible. So we'll have to, we'll have to look for the appropriate version. And, um, but otherwise, uh, yeah, Citizen Kane. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll have, we'll have a special guest joining for that. And we're going to watch it. uh, We're going to watch it together here in LA. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And and there's definitely going to be tacos involved. Awesome. All right. So we'll 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 just Mar- bride, you want to bring up to Marco the um the next month discussion or should we shelve it? We'll 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 shelve it. I'll, I'll tell him after you stop recording. Okay. So next next week it's going to be the classic some people consider it the best film of all time some people say it's overrated we here at mrac will decide it for you yeah we will decide if it's the greatest film ever or it's overrated and then that's it so the the debate will just be ended for sure uh until then uh yeah see you next week You had like both a flood and a powder outage, and a, and a yeah, and a, I mean basically the tree fucking caught fire too. Basically, the, the chronological the order, fire? the chronological order. So, so this it was a crazy combination of conditions, right? There was two feet of snow. The weather warmed up, and like two feet of snow all around in the mountains, and the, all melted. And 
so that created like really muddy, soft conditions. And then it rained for 24 hours and then we had 60 mile an hour winds. So like all the trees just toppled over because they, because they were all like weakened. So it, it was crazy. There were like 300, 400,000 people in Maine without power. Um, oh, I know God. that I was at least responsible for 400 people being without power. I know because the central Maine power sent out a text message to everybody in my region saying, my address, <laughs> there's a, there was an incident at my address and 400 people without power. So the fucking pine tree just toppled over and burned through the very top wire and then got caught and hung on the the three. And it's a big, healthy pine tree. And, and oh I was God. there in the street as it was like the top was burning. Luckily, it fell away from the house, though. Um, and then my basement started to flood. And I was like, oh, OK, it'll stop eventually. And it didn't stop. And I have a brand new furnace. And so like we ran to Home Depot, got a generator, ran back, hooked the shit up under a headlamp outside. I like set up, a, I fucking took my my axe and whittled wood down, staked it into the ground, set up like a refugee camp over the, uh, I call it, I call it um, Refugen, the <laughs> <laughs> refugee camp generator. So I... I <laughs> I set a top up under that and then hooked that up to a sump pump and I started pumping out the water just in time, right before it reached my brand new furnace. Oh, snap. And, but uh, yeah, but, and then I just basically kept having to go get gasoline to like refuel it. Um, and we ran it, you know, throughout the night, all day. How, how long does the generator run on a, on one tank? Depends what you plug into it. I only had the uh, I had part-time fridge, but I, it was mostly sump pump dehumidifier because it was a couple inches in the basement. Um, sump pump dehumidifier, and uh, the, and then I eventually connected the internet to it, and then a fridge. But so that doesn't pull a lot of watts. So um, eight to ten hours on a tank, which is pretty good. No, oh, it's not. It's not too bad. Not too bad. Not too bad. But uh, you know, we're surviving here, man. We're we're doing it. And then, then the it's, wood stove is it's almost perfectly. it's almost as if you chose to live in an area that might require you <laughs> to, to to be a a, a a more one with nature. This then the funny part about all this is like I love this shit. <laughs> it's a pain in the ass. It was stressful, but like that's why I moved out here because I love this shit. Yeah. Yeah, if if you're if you're into it, uh, me me I I appear to have lost while well, my heat tolerance has gone up uh, significantly. I appear to have lost most of my cold tolerance. Yeah, I I, I discovered this at at uh, at the bathhouse. Uh, the uh, before the bathhouse before I got on on my first flight to Osaka, where. Uh, my, I, uh, my buddy commented on how, like, I, I was handling the sauna like a champ, but, uh, the cold plunge was, was hitting me harder than usual. But I, I was, I was, I was thoroughly enjoying that, that, uh, that, that sauna. And so then how many, how many times were you married? Uh, oh, in Japan. Well, I almost, I almost did end up missing my flight. So it turns out that Kansai Airport has an issue with its uh, security line. I, I basically, I land in Osaka and I'm like, I've got eight hours, immediately leave, hop on a train and go to the closest onsen I could find. There was an onsen in the airport, but I was like, no, no, screw this. I've got time. I'm going 
to Japan, at least I can dock, you know, off like another half day that I can add to my four day total of time I've spent in Japan. Like I'm going to an onsen, like actually in Japan, I'm not staying in the airport. So, so I go out there and then I've got about five hours in the onsen. Uh, and I'm like, all right, you know, it's a little earlier than I wanted to leave, but I, I've got about two hours until I need to be at my gate. Let me, I, I should leave now. So I, I get to the airport 90 minutes early. already have my ticket. Bag is, is already going through to LA. So I think I'm fine. I, I go to departures and there's like thousands, literally thousands of people lined up to go through security. And this line is snaking through the entire airport. I thought it was like lines to get checked in. And I was like, wait a minute, none of these people have like big luggage. Are they all waiting for, and th this line didn't end. I was in this line for over an hour. And then eventually the airports had to send people with um, uh, signs to, to come rescue us. So we'd actually make it onto the flight. Uh, because That's really it took cool. yeah, 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 and and they, I've they never seen, I've never seen that before. Yeah, well, yeah, they grab us and take us through like the staff line. Uh, otherwise, did like actually, all these did people, they, did they hoist you up in their shoulders, kind of like a like a football coach at the end after, after like they win the big game or something? That's no, they not, not they came, they came through with a uh, garbage truck and just scooped them up. Actually. <laughs> I, I was nearly nearly turned into soil and green, but you know, managed to managed to escape it. So um, but oh, but God. yeah, like yeah, so so that's that's how they had to get people through the lines. But so so still ended up making the flight. Uh and I I can I can say Japan Airlines is now my favorite airline. Oh, I, Japan I Airlines. Oh, of course. Five out of five kawaii's. I'm going to give it five out of five kawaii's. Wow. See, he's on yeah. the five scale. How much sound we did, Pete? How much is that out of ten? I, I don't know. I, I can't do the math. Ah, oh, I'll never know. Fuck. Sounds good, though. Sounds pretty good. <laughs> I, pretty I, I give it ah. I gotta give it 6.75 out of 6.75 Oshii's. Uh, which means delicious in Japanese. Did, did uh, anyone call you? Did they call you Marco-san on the airplane or anything like that? Uh, I no. Well, because um, it's Japan. Yeah, but it's not like the stu the stewardess has like five hundred people on the plane. She's not going to fucking know his name. You never know. They could like memorize everyone on the seating chart and be like Marco-san, because <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it was just like I mean, the the service is great. You get like they they bring they bring you a menu for like your meal, and they're like, we recommend that you go with you know our you know our 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 special meal, and it's you know it's it's great. And I have like you know for for as far as airplane food goes, you get miso soup, and the stewardesses are super friendly. And the plane was only a third full, so I had a full row to, to sleep on. So I actually managed to get some sleep on the plane. It was it was a fantastic experience. Awesome. Yeah, and I watched I watched Japanese television, which is just oh. as good as I remember. Japanese television yes. is the best. I it's remember the, watching the, it in one of the in the hotel, and and you're like, oh, let me just skip the let me go to another channel, and and I'll go back to what I was watching. Never found anything ever again. 
it's just like <laughs> like shifting. I was watching like sumo wrestling. I'm like, let me let me go back to this. No, it was like ten minutes of it, and then they move on to something else. And there were like three channels. So I was I was in the sauna, and in the, in the sauna they they have a television, and it, it's it's Japanese TV like in the sauna, and then they're running some kind of advertisement. I don't know what this. I I it, I couldn't see anything because my glasses weren't off, but I don't know if they're showing like some kind of pad or mattress or something. And 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 typical like Japanese commercial style, they're really excited about in Japanese about whatever it is this this product that that they're displaying. And I'm struggling not to laugh, like to burst out laughing in the sauna, which would have just confused all the old Japanese men around me, understandably yeah. so. But they think, it was they think really like they think you're laughing at their junk or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It was really, it was really hard to keep my composure, um, but yeah, yeah. I, again, it's it's even even just passing through Japan is like a highlight of my existence. Well, I love that passing through um, includes a sauna. That's that's amazing. <laughs> and and it was on the second floor. It's it's just it was like it's called Rinku Town. It's like right outside of the airport, and it just looks like I mean they call it it's called Pleasure Town. Um, and it was a pleasurable experience, but it's basically like a giant parking lot and like the commercial buildings, the, the onsen is on the second floor of this sort of like nondescript building on the first floor was, was a bowling alley. So now I know, like I, from now on, I'm going to be intentionally trying to book long layovers in Osaka just so I can like go bowling, you know, take a hot wait, soak. Wait, candle pin or 10 pin? 10 pin. I mean, you know, I think <laughs> I think Caleb is very specific to not even like the U.S., but like the north. Yeah, we did not have yeah. candle pin Sunday in mornings in the we northeast. Had, there were, yeah, we didn't have candle pin, but we had duck pin. We had uh, duck pin bowling in Baltimore. It was like regional, regional ABC wide world of sports type shit. I was in the Candlepin League when I was younger. Our team won uh, first place. Because if you if you weren't in the Candlepin League, you fucking you, you're not from the Northeast. <laughs>